In this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my good friend, Kim, she took over Scale Your Sales podcast and started off by asking me my story. Now, this is not something I normally share on Scale Your Sales podcast because it's all about my guests. I'm really curious about my, my guests. I want to find out more about them. So you're going to hear things about how I started off in sales, what my background is, what my unique perspective um, is, and how I came to be, really. Um, so hopefully you'll you'll find that interesting because a lot of what happened in my earlier days, my earlier years, has really helped to form the person I am today. So I hope you're going to uh, enjoy that. Hello, my name is Kim Hamer. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast, and this is a podcast takeover. Let me welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast my special guest and podcast host, Janice B. Gordon. Welcome. Well, it's wonderful to be here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, listeners, this all came about... Um, because we were sitting in a London pub pretty much, weren't we? And we spent, we'd spent a few hours brainstorming together and we were coming up with ideas about how, really how we could tell people more about some of the amazing work that Janice does. And I had been grilling her for, the, for about an hour about what do you do and what is it that you do and why do people buy from you and all of that. And, um, and then she pointed at me and said, well, you need to interview me on my podcast. So that's how I found myself in this chair. And um, and Janice found herself on the receiving end of some tough questions, but hopefully fun questions as well. So um, Janice, thank you for having me and thank you for trusting me with well, your sales. I'll, 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 um, I'll thank you afterwards, really, you know, when, when I've got through this. Okay. I'm not sure about it now. It seemed like a good idea when we're having a glass of wine over exactly. lunch. Yes, <laughs> it did. I still think it's a fabulous idea. So I think we should just go with it. Right. So, okay. So, I'm ready so, for you. Excellent. So um, I like to start. So I have um, a podcast, as you know, and as a podcast host, I always ask my guests to uh, to sort of introduce themselves. I don't do the introduction. I hand the mic over because you will tell your story far better than I ever will. So I am going to pass the mic briefly back over to you, Janice, and ask you, Janice B. Gordon, who are you and what's your story? Uh, do you know what? I think there's there are various milestone moments in, in your life. And, I, you know, people will know my bio. So I thought it would be quite interesting to talk about those milestone moments. And one of which is when I was 15, a, um, a teacher said to me, you know, what do you want to do with your life? It was when we were doing um, work experiences. And, um, you know, I said I wanted to go on and do A-levels. And they said to me, I'm not intelligent enough to do A-levels. And I knew it was there was something wrong with that at the time. But, you know, it's very difficult when something like that comes at you to actually have a, a response. I was never cheeky. I was very studious. 
there was a lot of racism under the cover. You know, my siblings and I were put in remedial classes. We were the only black family in this village for a, a good 15 years. So we got the brunt of all of that. Um, and we put up with that kind of nonsense, really. And I didn't really have a voice. I was actually, you wouldn't believe this, Kim. I was shy. I was really shy. No. Yeah, I know. Here I am speaking on stage, showing off and everything like that. The other thing you won't believe is I'm introverted. People always think I'm extroverted. Um, so, you know, even after this, this uh, interview, I'll probably go and have to sit in a dark corner somewhere and re recover from it all. Um, so he made it very difficult. I couldn't stay on in that school and I had to go to two other, other schools in order to do my A-levels. You know, fast forward, I am way more qualified than this person that was so-called giving me advice at that time. But it, I spoke about this in my um, TEDx talk as well and that other people's perception of you has is nothing to do with you. It's all to do with their experience, how experience the world and their past experiences. So even when we're talking about our parents, everything that they know is based on their history and their past. And especially for younger people, we're looking into the future of all the possibilities. And, you know, we're online, we're using our mobile phones and, and often older people are kind of a good few generations behind all of that so you can imagine taking advice from somebody that's not even in the same world that you are um or doesn't have the same experiences in the way that they perceive your world so one of the things that i say that you know do not take other people's advice trust your own instincts trust yourself you know know yourself better than than anyone else and i know this will resonate with you with brand you and, you know, brand you is all about, you know, your core values and really understanding yourself. And that's what the what you're leading with. So that was kind of one um, pivotal moment. But I must say that I've also recognized that these bl blocks and barriers in my life is me one. It's the one that I mentioned because it was the first that took me back. But I recognize this is a recurrent theme in my, in my life. Um, the other pivotal moment I, is that I've I've traveled uh, the world extensively. I've lived and worked in three continents. I've been exposed to glorious people and places in, in the world. I feel um, privileged. I really do feel privileged. But, but that's because from a lot of those early experiences where I was very much put in a box, I kind of want to break out that box. I want to smash that box to pieces. And it's only recently with me to black lives matter that i've i've had a voice but i haven't always used it because there's always been consequences to that well and i do say to women when i um you know speak in in uh, various groups leadership groups and you know we have got to stop apologizing i'm not apologizing this is a black looking at you and also you know we've got to ask forgiveness and never ask for permission well, you know, it's like asking for permission to breathe, really. It's ridiculous. And I think that I found very much found my voice after these movements. And it's we're not in the post. We're just, you know, feeling free to live with the consequences and actually um, 
feeling more confident to poke at injustices and, and um, fairness. And fairness is one of my, my core values. So I think that that's been pretty um, foundational of how I've, I've gone on. When I'm talking about from a, a business point of view, I've always been more on the business side. I did a, a, a business and design degree and I went into more on the business side of design, um, uh, working in, a, in, in America and um, in Botswana. And I, when I returned, I worked in uh, from when I worked in Botswana for two and a half years, early 1990s. I returned and started working in services, sales, and that's where I got all of my sales experience. So I remember on a Tuesday, we had to be in and it was cold calling at 8 a.m. in the morning and then seven o'clock at night. I hate cold calling. <laughs> Hated it then. Don't like it now. What I loved about that industry was building the relationships with people, really solving their, their problems, really un getting under the skin of the people and the companies that I worked with. That's what I loved uh, um, about the job. And I did it for a good um, 10 years. Um, if I kind of fast forward, I then started after my um, Cranfield MBA and I did the MBA in the in financial services, my office. They didn't realize I was doing the MBA. So I was hiding it for a good two and a half years. And then I left. <laughs> oh, OK. So do they know now? <laughs> yeah, they know now. Yeah. And so uh, after my MBA, I worked with um, a construction company, more on the kind of operational side. I helped them turn one to four million. And this was very much based on putting in systems and processes. Um, you'll know from Talent Dynamics, I'm a mechanic. I love having a situation where there are no um, um, connect, there are no, um, I love making connections. I love putting systems and processes. I love making sense out of chaos. I'm very kind of um, structured and, and creative within all of that. Um, so if there's nothing there, I can create something out of it. And even when, you know, a lot of my clients are talking to me, or even when I'm on stage, sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, that was brilliant. Where did that come from? I didn't plan to say that, but it was just absolutely spot on. And it's because I always do so much research. I overdo things that I pick up all of these connections and I'm making and creating processes and systems, whether I'm speaking to a client or whether I'm speaking on stage. So they think, oh, my gosh, I never the question you asked me to make that connection. So that's kind of one of, I suppose, my my superpowers. Mm. School of Management then asked me to come back. So I work with the customer experience consultancy and then I work with Cranfield. The customer experience consultancy completely changed the way I thought, think about sales. And I thought, oh, well, we've got this all wrong. And that has continued to develop into scale your sales, which I'm happy to talk about um, later. Having a real focus rather than internally on sales, but more on the buyer and the customer and, and how that change, changes things. So working with Cranfield School of Management, first early experiences was more in key account management and later in leadership development programs, MSE. So, you know, all of this has formed my experience, my perspective of the sales industry, who I am, what I do and, and what I represent. So I hope that's given you a kind of an indication of, of my story. 
Excellent. I don't know sometimes when we host these podcasts and we, we're predominantly guest-led, often there's like a missed opportunity to, to go, well, who's the host? Because we focus so much on promoting uh, the guests and their story and exploring that. And I think um, there's probably a lot in there that people who've been listening to your podcast for a while didn't know. So, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. It's a, I learned a lot in our conversation in the pub, let alone that conversation just now. Um, so I'm really um, interested in what, what drew you to, for want of a better word, sales as a sector or an industry. So what, you know, you talked about building relationships and, you know, you came from cold calling and, and you know, some other parts of sales. So what, what had you kind of go, yeah, this is, this is the lane of Janice B. Gordon. Before I, I went to work in uh, Africa, I, so I did my degree and it was business and design. I went out to America, um, another pivotal um, moment. So I went out to America and took my sample designs out there and got a job and worked, worked out there. And, you know, it was really, it was almost like Studio 54. It's really exciting. You know, I went out to loads of clubs. I met lots of people. I got very much exposed to another form of diversity that, you know, so I was kind of very much cultural diversity. But, you know, in terms of uh, sexual fluidity, I wasn't really exposed to. And I just loved it. It was so exciting to me. And, you know, I and again, that's kind of formed the way that I I treat people and and um, how important fairness is is to me and really just looking at people as as individuals and not categorizing um them so much so that was pretty fundamental about how i kind of go forward in my re relationships but i had the designs and i needed to make money and i would literally go to the reference library pick up the phone this was before i did cold calling with my english accent and you know i would get appointments with people and then um I would sell to people. So it's just kind of like the business side and selling became quite accidental, really, mm. um, because I just I needed to earn some money while I was there and I had these designs. Then I formed a business where I'd go over four times a year selling down designs to the fashion industry and contract and uh, industry and so forth. So I was even prior to that, I used to make clothes and I used to sell clothes. So I was always kind of on the cusp of, of the business side. I've gone on to grow businesses, start businesses. So I've always been quite entrepreneurial. Um, so when I came back from, from Botswana and I knew that I wanted to do an MBA and I had no money, <clears throat> I, um, I wanted to do more in business. And so... Uh, that's why I kind of moved into sales. I was very clear at that time, I had done business on a very smaller entrepreneurial scale. The business is about sales. You can't have a business without sales. So I really wanted to understand the process, the formal process of, of, of sales. So it's a bit of a no-brainer for me. I mean, when people um, accidentally fall into sales i deliberately wanted to um gain that knowledge of that in the industry mm, mm. and i i think it's really interesting you you talk about without sales there is no business uh and 
whether we're in employed in other businesses or running our own business, it, it's kind of a mantra because without sales, you've got no cash. Without, without cash, you can't, you can't do anything. You, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much profit you think you have if you don't have cash flow through your business and, and a way to generate income, then, then it doesn't happen. So, you know, you, you, you've kind of immersed yourself in all sorts of areas of sales. Where, where did the switch come? You mentioned before about how um, the work at Cranfield built into the scale your sales idea. So, so when did it go from, I just, I, you know, I've got to make some money to pay for my MBA into something that was more about building and, and scaling? The, it was the customer experience. So I, you know, uh, traditional um, sales, financial services, Cranfield MBA, uh, working more in the business environment, the, you know, operations management of growing a business. And then um, uh, someone poached me for, to work in a customer experience. I had no always customer experience. This was like two, 2004. I, I had yeah. no idea. Mm. And um, but I had, you know, the marketing uh, diploma. Um, so I knew about marketing and, and sales. And so this customer experience consultancy was quite leading edge. Um, it was called uh, What If? And um, so I gained a real understanding of what customer experience was through them. But the what made a difference is that. Having had the sales experience and doing customer journeys, so I worked with um, AOL and set up customer journeys in uh, Germany, Paris, and uh, France, um, UK, and really understanding that it's it doesn't matter if you have the marketing team or technicians, all of these um, different groups of people, we would set up a journey, they would have to sit with the customer, and the customer would do the journey, they're not allowed to say anything, say, oh, no, you're doing it wrong, or it's supposed to be done this way, if it's, you know, technicians, the technical people found that really hard, because they yeah. knew what they had planned the journey to be. Yeah. We found the shortest route, the most efficient way. They always found the problems, the holes and all of these things. The customers were be the best creators and innovators and recognizing that. But so what we tend to do is think that we know everything, but actually the customers know more. They always know more. They always, always know more. So going back to, to sales, here we are saying this is the solution to your, your problem. But often... We talk a lot about discovery, but I know I was um, every questions was to lead them to my solution. It wasn't really discovering about their true priorities, needs and wants. It was to lead them to my solution. And mm. that's how traditional sales was was done. So, you know, we had a fact find and all of that. Our job is done. We've justified the solution. And that's what really grated with me. We really weren't including the customer in this journey, but actually this solution was for the customer. And that's what I didn't really, uh, it, uh, you know, it didn't sit right with me. So over a period of time, I developed uh, Scale Your Sales with all of that knowledge that I had gained from doing the customer journeys and really understanding what customer experience was about, the connection with 
the customer experience and employee experience and and all of that. But I've kind of moved that on uh, even further to, you know, other areas I think are pretty fundamental to the success relationship between sales and the experiences customers have. And it's the kind of experiences that they want to continue to have uh, so that, you know, you ultimately get better, more substantial sales revenue. Brilliant. I love there were a couple of great things there. I've written on my piece of paper here, the myth of discovery. And it is so true. We, we talk about, let's have a discovery call. And actually what we're doing is discovering whether they're a client for us rather than actually listening for, you know, who they really are. What, 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 what is this person really about? What are they struggling with? What would they like? And the solution might not be us. Mm. I think that, and, and that is something that, you know, I think it's really difficult sometimes for people to sit with it. If we're going to be truly discovering um, what the customer needs are, what our ideal client needs are, however you term them, um, then it, then sometimes it might be about, well, you know, maybe I'm not right for you, but I can suggest some other things that are. Or, you know, if you're talking to an organisation, um, oh, okay, I don't think it's quite that, but maybe it's this. Maybe it's a combination of, of other things. And I think it takes, as you say, a fairness to actually listen in that way with, the, with that kind of intention and integrity rather than am I listening to look for the hook where I can sell my stuff. Yeah. And this is what the, the sales industry is slowly moving on. But okay. It's forced to move on because buyers have already moved. They're yeah. two years ahead. Yeah. Um, and so this is beginning to change. And it's, I just think it's quite interesting that the, the amount of sales stack, the, you know, the technology that has been developed in order to make the sales process more efficient actually has made the sales process more com complex. And uh, so you have so many different uh, contradictory platforms uh, that you have to use in order to get little bits of additional information and knowledge. And that we're really getting lost in what is the purpose of what, what are we doing? Who are we doing it for? What's important here? Where are the biggest impacts? And what I say is we need to start with the end in mind. Very famous person. Uh, uh, Stephen, Stephen Covey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we love him. <laughs> we do love him. You know, that's one of my um, favorite books that, you know, the, um, yeah, one of my favorite books. Anyway, so if we if we understand really well our our buyers and our customers and from my kind of key account management days, I always say we're not going to do this for everyone, but we really need to intimately understand who are our key clients, who are the top 20% that give us 8% of the rate. If you don't, if you cannot be bothered to really invest and under their whole operation, not just mm. the client that you have, but the whole operation, their industry, they're giving you all of this revenue and you're not doing that, that in-depth research. So, that's the focus. The thing is, once you nail those top 20, there's going to be another kind of 
if you draw a kind of circle outside of that, people that are more attracted to you because they want what that top 20 are having from you. They want that relationship. So it's up to them to kind of um, uh, bring up their their whether it's their quantities or their revenues or, or whatever. So you only really need to focus on a niche group of really important people identify who who they are which is what we do in the scale your sales um productive scale your sales framework the productivity side of really understanding who those key groups of of people are and then you know once you've understood those those people you need to make sure you keep them retention 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 and acceleration so Janice, I'm I'm just thinking we've been just talking about so much great stuff and I have so much more I want to talk to you about. But I'm just wondering whether we could potentially do a little pause here and then invite people back for a part two of this takeover episode. So, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think that's something we could do? I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yes, they've probably had enough of me by now. <laughs> they might need a pause. All right. Yeah. So let's. That's part one. And what we'll do is next week we'll post part two. So we're going to split this interview into two. Great idea, Kim. Thank you. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.